0: Well, good morning everybody. Join me in thanking the band, would you? This is a great job. Thank you, singers, crew. When, uh, when we talk about greater things that God would do in our lives, it's been the focus the last few weeks, and this morning we're, we're uh, putting a bow on it and, and finishing it up. If you have a Bible, go with me to Acts chapter 11. But Jesus would oftentimes say, more than once, he would say, you're going to do greater things. And then, sure enough, the epistles would talk about that, and then he would say this, The one who is in you, Jesus being in you, the Holy Spirit living inside you since you trust Christ, the one who's in you is even, is greater than the one who's in the world. So you will be the overcomer. It's just a matter of you seeing that future, what that would look like. And you always wonder, what would our city look like if masses of people came to trust Christ, if we shared our faith freely and more people trusted Christ and they grew in the Lord and became more, looking more like Jesus? What would that be like? I tell you what it would be like, Acts chapter eight there would be, Acts chapter eight, verse eight, there would be joy in that city. How many would like to have that? (laughs) Oh yeah. How many would like to have joy in your marriage, right? Go to Art of Marriage this weekend, right? Just spend some time investing. But what if your your marriage were better, your family were better, your own soul were better, living with Jesus? And then what if that affected the city and the county and the whole region? We could take a good dose of that. When Jesus was putting his A-team together, he was calling the disciples, and he'd say, come and follow me. There was one particular guy that, that uh, now he needed to trust God, but he, but he, he did trust God. He was re- researching the scriptures. His name's Nathaniel, and, and as he did that, he, one day he went into this tree. I say into the tree. It was like a willow, our modern-day willow tree. Um, when I was a kid, we had a willow tree in our backyard, and you could actually hide in that tree. Have you ever been in a willow tree and hidden? If you don't trim it, it'll hang all the way down and uh, to the ground. So once you're inside the tree, you can climb up and just sit there. And that's what Nathaniel did. He probably was reading Old Testament texts. And Nathaniel wanted to know God. Wanted to research about God. But when he met Jesus, Jesus said, "You know, come with me." He says, well, "How do I know?" And then Jesus said to him, "I saw you in the tree." And Nathaniel, was like, "Oh my gosh, this is the one. This is the one we're looking for. This is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. This is it." Read it with me out loud with you. John chapter one, verse 50. Read it with me, would you? Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. John 150. He's saying, you think seeing the future or seeing what people are doing when you could be hiding away, you think that's phenomenal? That's nothing, Jesus said. When you trust me and walk with me in personal faith, you're going to do Greater things. Well, here's the, this is kind of a crazy cool thing. Here's the good news. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's going to be a good day. Turn them and say that. Because Dave has three sermons going. (laughs) Say it to your neighbor. At the same time. Yes. So, uh, In John one, Jesus is calling these disciples. This is a really cool piece to study on your own, this whole separate sermon. But he calls one guy and he does it based upon the message and the logic and the reasoning. He calls the next one simply by invitation. Come, follow me. The guy drops his stuff and takes off. The next one he calls, he does it building a relationship. The next one he calls is like Nathaniel, saying I I know about this. it's a deeper thinking, philosophic mind. The point from John 1 is this. Jesus leads people to himself different ways depending upon the people themselves. So it is with you. Sometimes you're going to help someone come to Christ, but they have a different perspective on the faith or they process it differently. And that's one of the real benefits of having lots of Christians around you because when you can't quite figure it out, one of your buddies, when they meet the community of faith, someone's going to tap in and know and understand that person, and how they process the faith, and that's the real beauty of the body of Christ, and and so I say that to you to say that sometimes you're going to share your faith, sometimes you're just going to live the life, and then give your testimony, some of you are going to do it through relationships, some are going to do it through philosophic thinking, and others are you're just going to do it by logical, here's the message, is what Jesus did, and all of those are legitimate means, because they all go to the same end, which is people embracing Christ, Now, what does that greater look like from John chapter 1? What did Jesus Jesus, uh, mean when he said, uh, you saw me under the tree, uh, I saw you under the tree, and I'm telling you, uh, when you follow me in faith, greater things are going to happen. Well, today what I want to do is I just want to walk with you through one chapter and kind of um, make observations of Acts chapter 11, one chapter, just to see what this greater kind of future looks like because when it happens here's what will happen just by way of summary you're going to face greater challenges in your life when you tell your faith story when you go out on a limb and tell your faith story to somebody and uh, then you may give a testimony or you say i will pray Do you might if someone shares a, a heartbreak with you and you say could i pray for you and then you start to pray for them or you have your small group pray for them you're going to face greater challenges because there are going to be problems you cannot solve they're going, to, they're going to face you with things you've never experienced before. And it forces you to trust God in a way that you never otherwise would. But that's not all. You're not going to have just greater challenges. It's going to stimulate greater growth in your own life, and it's good for you. It's growth that you would never otherwise have. Once you let it out of the bag, it's your believer in Christ, your Christ follower. Now you're, you're working to live up to that high calling of Christ in your life. And Christians who've grown this way, this is humbling, But you look up and you see just how good God is and how he works you through and grows you up. And that leads you to that third phase, which is the greater joy. There is no greater joy than to hear your children follow in the truth, John wrote. And and it's true, you lead someone to Christ, you help them grow in the Lord, it is unexplainable kind of joy, it's incredible. So what does that future look like? Because we're thinking, okay, if, if more people came to trust Christ, what would that look like? And Acts unfolds that for us. Acts chapter 11 is just one slice of the chapters of Acts. Acts is a historical account of what happened right after the resurrection of Jesus. So these are first-generation Christians. Everybody in the book of Acts is hearing about Jesus pretty much for the first time. Nobody comes from a deeply religious you know, Christian perspective. Why? Because Jesus has just risen from the grave. I think it's amazing that these believers who have no... They have no roadmap. They have no heroes of the faith. Um, they, they don't even have a complete Bible. I think it's phenomenal that the church in Acts even made it, because they didn't have nice chairs and nice carpet, clean restrooms, children's programming, a killer band, wonderful PowerPoint. I don't know how the church made it without the PowerPoint. I frankly, I I don't know how they succeeded for two thousand years. But here's the deal: what they had was this. They had Jesus. Write this down, and they had. They had the assurance that Jesus said, you're gonna be just fine. In fact, you're gonna do even greater things. You're gonna have a greater impact than the previous generation. Now, from Acts chapter 11, here's what the face of the future looks like. And what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna read through the chapter, and I'm just gonna make observations. This is something you can do too. It's a basic Bible study method, and it's just the science of observation. So here we go. Chapter 11, verse one. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. Stop there. The apostles, these are the leaders of the church and the believers at the congregation throughout Judea. That's the religious, that's what we would call Israel today, South Israel. And they heard the Gentiles, these are non-Jewish people. There are different categories in the Bible. Bible talks about Jews, right? And everybody else is considered a Gentile. Okay, You say, well, I'm Polish, or uh, I'm from Eritrea, or Somalia, or Philippines, or Australia. It doesn't matter where you are. If you're not Jewish, you're considered Gentile. The only exception to that is if you had like a Jewish dad and a Gentile mom, then you're a half-breed. That's what that would be called. And they called them half-breeds, and that, that was the term Samaritan. Okay, So in the Bible, you had really three groups of people. You had Jews, the inner circle of God's anointed, kind of the hand of God on those people, God's chosen people throughout the Old Testament. Then you had these Samaritans who were mixed blood, and then you had Greeks, or, or, and that's everybody else. And that's probably who we are, okay? We are everybody else. And so when he says, the message of Jesus goes to the Gentiles, what what we understand is this, the gospel will go to places that we never expected it to go, why? Because when when Jesus died on the cross, he came unto his own, John says, and his own did not receive him. So to whoever who receives him, he gives the right to become children of God. This is no longer a Jewish faith. This is a faith for all people. And these people saw life change, and, and because they came to Christ, all of a sudden, they're looking at these Jews who've come to Christ, and they're Gentiles. They might be Romans, they might be Greeks, could be, uh, could be from Libya or Egypt, doesn't really matter. All, all the way around the Mediterranean Sea, they'd see each other and they would say, we have the same Savior. They count themselves now as brothers and sisters, people they never even talked to six months ago. And now they, they consider themselves really tight, like family. And that's, that's the huge piece. The gospel will go, number one, where we never expected it to go. Now verse two. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, that's a city inside of Israel, the circumcised believers criticize him. And if you don't know what the word circumcised means, go talk to our children's pastor, Kathy Purvis. She's not in here, is she? Oh, you are here. Ah, oh, shoot. you are welcome. Just so you know, in the last service, I, I put it on Mike Clark, so it, it wasn't on you all the way. Okay. I'm sending them to Mike. I'm sending him to Mike. Okay, good. Uh, Jews were circumcised. Gentiles were not circumcised here's the deal that they had customs that we we don't even realize so we would do things because we're just romans or greeks whatever we are because of our custom we do things and they would go oh no that's not the way you do it and so they're having dinner together and they ate with them and that that was grounds for criticism they didn't like this mixing yeah they don't like that at all you have to understand this, that even though you're making strides for a greater future, just because you have the same mission doesn't mean you, everybody in the room is automatically mature and, and, or everybody in the room has the same taboos and the non-taboos. These are cultural, they're family, they deal with history, and they're all part of who you were coming up to this point, but now you are a new creation in Christ. You're a brand new person. The old is gone, the new has come. So don't think it will necessarily be easy. there will be easy, great days, but there'll be days that will be challenging because even within the family of God, there'll be criticism from within. Conflict, here's the deal, will get you off of your game, which is helping people come to know Christ. You see, Jesus didn't, when he died upon the cross, and he rose again, he said, now you follow me. When The reason he left you on earth as your believer is to help other people come and to give him glory in the midst of that. Otherwise, your life is not to be just a kind of ho-hum life. Your life is to be spectacular, wonderful, adventures of faith this conflict gets you off of that kind of venture of faith because now you've got to solve the problem and it keeps you from spreading the good news it makes the internal conflict what you focus on it needs to be solved and what god does is he just chooses peter he says we'll solve this once and for all he picked the loudest mouth in the group his name's peter verse four now peter told them the whole story starting from the beginning he tells them the whole story I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision. Now stop there. Here's the vision. The vision was in this trance, almost like he goes to sleep, has a dream. He sees a sheet come down with animals on it. And the Lord says, eat. He goes, I don't eat that stuff. I'm a Jew. He goes, oh, yes, you do. You can eat this stuff. He goes, oh, no, I don't. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, no, I don't. Oh, yes, you do. And they go round and round in this dream until Peter finally realizes God is breaking down every barrier even down to my customs, the stuff I thought was important. Everything he'd been taught from the Old Testament, because these are just Old Testament foods that we're restricted on. You know, we have it within our own customs things that we like to eat and don't like to eat. You ever gone out to eat? and you, Before you go, you, you get online and go, oh, let's go there. Let's go try this. Oh, then you see the food. They're eating lamb's eyes. Maybe not. You know, I just want a hamburger, you know? And, and I always ask my kids, they'd say, well, Why is a hamburger so appealing? Well, it's okay. Don't want to eat a lamb. A lamb is so cute. So a cow's ugly? I mean, is this the death penalty for a cow because he's big and can't complain? you know. But that's the custom you grow up with. In another part of the country, other animals are to be eaten, and it was fine. And God is telling Peter, this gospel is not just for your culture, not just for your people, not for your kind, if you will. It's going to be for all people in all places and even with the criticism Peter realizes here he will learn lessons he thought he already knew he knew that this grace that he was saved but with from Jesus himself he knew that grace would also sustain him but he knew that grace was the same grace for every other household no matter what they ate or no matter what their custom was and he'd have to repeat that lesson isn't that true that happens in our lives too It's good to know we're not the only ones who have to relearn the same lessons. And if Peter can eat any kind of food, then it makes him, he realizes, I'm no different than everybody else in the world. And this is the step, by the way, God uses that culture food piece to say, this gospel is too good to be kept to one people group. It's gonna go worldwide. It's gonna go to other cultures. This addresses race and cultures and histories all at once. And Peter realizes I'm going to learn a lesson, and, and the whole world is going to know this Savior is for the entire world, and it crosses all the boundaries. Well, let's pick up now at verse 11. Right then, three men who had, been seen, uh, who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me, that's important to get that, the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. You have prompting of the spirit in your life right there. Six brothers also went with me. We went entered a man's house. He told us he'd seen an angel appear in his house. And it said, send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. And he will bring you a message through which you and your household will be saved. Get this, the Holy Spirit moves in the lives of these people. And you're gonna see, when you give your testimony, you're gonna see the active hand of God there'll be moments you cannot explain how you got this conversation or where you got this conversation or how you got to this point in the conversation when you entered and bring Jesus into the conversation, but you'll find it to be God moments. And the Spirit will prompt you when to speak and when not to. When you tell your faith story, there'll be moments that are aha moments. And and even for those who are listening to the testimony, they're getting the content of it, but you're realizing again, how rich and how beautiful your own faith is oftentimes in your own telling of your own story of your own faith god builds your faith he doesn't just build the faith of the people you're talking to he builds your faith he lets you see what he's up to in in your life and here's the miracle god is up to something great in the world here's our prayer god you're up to something great right here so if you're up to something great, I just want to be there to see it. I just want to be there to be a part of it. I just want to be there to, to, to engage with it. And I want to see the joy and the glory that comes from all this. God's going to do something great. I just want to be there when it, when it happens. So the Holy Spirit will, will change the power base, really, of your life. And he, and he does that in, in a miraculous kind of way, an unpredictable kind of way. Um, verse 15 now. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on me. There it is again. As he come on us from the beginning, verse 16, then I remembered the Lord said to him, John baptized with water, but I'm baptizing you with the Holy Spirit. Now, wow, they're going back to John's baptism and now the spirit baptism. I'm baptizing you with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift that he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? You see, we always think in terms of distinction that, Okay, you can come into the family of God, but only so far. You know, you're going to be at this level. Because we're always all about these levels and who's ahead and all that. And the Holy Spirit says, no, I baptize you with water. Now I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that same faith that saves me saves these other people. So our faith is really the same. There's no difference. That's why the Apostle Paul would write later in Galatians, There is no difference. There's no male, no female, no Jew, no Greek. There's slave, no free. It doesn't matter. You're all one in Christ. And they're beginning to learn that lesson. And we are still. And the Holy Spirit really changes kind of the power base of the way life is done. And you've been speaking for Christ. You've had this happen if you've ever given your testimony. And then you remember, go back to verse 16, verse 16. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. Have you ever done this? You're you're giving testimony, you're telling a story, you're saying, this is how I came to Christ, or this is where the Lord answered prayer. And then you remember something you've not read for a long time. And you go, wow, that's good. Who brought that to remembrance? The Lord did. I say, I think it's in those moments. Those are God moments. And he's working in my life, through my life. It's happening to us because the one who is in us is greater than the one who's in the world. And so he works in our lives even as we speak. There are moments that's happened with me where I'll say something and I'll say, yeah, you know, and then I'll say a phrase because life is tough. And I'll go, yeah, but you know what? That ended up for good. That was really bad, this, this, and this. But God turned it around, used it for good. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I think I just quoted the life of Joseph. You know, God, people intended it for bad. God used it for good. And I began to give to them bits of the Bible without even realizing it. And I go, you know, I'm not that good, Lord. I am not that good. It has to be of the Lord that this would happen. Well, back to the scripture again. Verse 18. When they heard this, they had no further objections. What's happening is there's unity of mind here and unity of heart. And they praised God, saying, so even the Gentile, so to, um, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. There is a kind of optimism get this that nobody else can give you and it raises it's the value the optimism becomes a value but it also becomes a reality this is important it isn't just optimism like oh maybe someday we'll have optimism no when they realized there were no objections to the gospel it is exactly what it says he will save anyone who comes to him in faith all of a sudden I have an optimism about the world and about people because God could save anybody. And as people come to Christ over and over again, God is really working in the lives of people and that that is a motivational difference, this the spirit of optimism. <clears throat> when I was in high school, I wrestled in a <clears throat> weight class and <laughs> and I love wrestling. Uh, I, I, I actually, I, I, I went to high school kind of as a social experiment. I never really knew it was an academic place. (laughs) Anybody else? (laughs) I went to singing choirs, be in theater. I was in three sports. I'm sure I drove my parents crazy, you know, with where I had to be and what we had to do, but that was my life. But anyway, so I, I'm wrestling and, um, Wrestling coaches are not known to be, how shall I say, the Mother Teresa's of the world. Is that okay to say that? All right, and uh, I was about to go out on the mat, and uh, my coach just walks up behind me and he, and he looks at the guy across the way, the guy's just got veins sticking out and muscles and zero body fat, you know, and he, and he, he goes up and he goes, you got this one. And he, he whacks me on the hiney. If that offends you, I'm sorry. But he whacks me on the hiney. He goes, go get him. Go get him. You got this one. Like that. And you know what? I went out and I beat the guy. Okay. Well, thank you for that. But here's, here's the point of that. I did not get... That whack did not make me stronger. Didn't build muscle. Right? It didn't give me a new skill set. It didn't give me more perseverance. It did not, it did not change, um, it didn't give me a new move. It didn't make me smarter on the mat. You know what it did? It gave me confidence. And when I went out on the mat, I had the confidence because my coach believed in me. I went out on the mat and did better than I was. Understand this, Jesus said, In the world, we've done some great things, but the next generation will do stuff even greater. John 14. John 1, you see me, and I know you're in the tree, but you're gonna do, uh, seeing into the future and seeing stuff that can't be seen, that's great. You're even gonna do greater stuff. And you know what, within weeks of the new church, guess what happened? They did greater things. People came in one day, Acts 2, 3,000 people came to trust Christ. Can you imagine? with us. Then they got baptized. Then they lead more people to Christ. And they, then then persecution hits and it's not a happy day, but that spreads the gospel around the world. And within one generation they're around the known world of the Mediterranean Sea. It is greater. There's an optimism when you know that the Father in heaven believes in you and Jesus is cheering you on and the Holy Spirit inside of you is saying you can do this in the power of the spirit. You can do this. And optimism becomes not just a value, but it becomes a reality. Verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Stop there. Why did they scatter? Because Stephen was killed. Stephen, Acts chapter 6, is the first martyr. Stephen is a believer in Jesus. He tells the story of how he comes to this reality this check in his life to go i live this way and now i believe in jesus and they didn't like it and they didn't like it so badly that they picked up stones and they killed the guy now he became the first martyr for the church and what happened then by the way when people don't like the gospel it isn't the gospel they don't like they don't want to give up their own stuff They still want to be in control of their own life they want to be the king of me they want to run their own route so when you tell them something that he jesus could be lord of your life and change life they don't want something by taking over because they're not desperate enough and that's what happened with stephen so they killed him well when they killed him then people spread i mean they just they just packed up they came home that day they bagged up their stuff and they got out of town and they went into the Great Sea, which is the Mediterranean Sea, they went to Cyprus, they went to North Africa, they went to northern uh, side of Europe, up by Turkey. Uh, they they got out of town, because they didn't want to be next being killed. But what they did was, they took the gospel with them. So, even when it was bad, even when tough things were tough, God still used it for good. And the principle that I, I learned from this is that ministry is going to be hard, it's going to be tough. And it will be a burden. You'll, you'll have the memory, because some of those believers... They knew Stephen, and they knew this was hard. But when they moved, they began to tell the stories of Jesus, but they only did it, end of verse 19, among the Jews, because they were newcomers into those towns. So they led people to Christ, but still was a very Jewish church. Verse 20, huge to get this. Verse 20, some of them, however, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Stop there. Um, Cyprus, you know where that is? Think of the Mediterranean Sea. You know what the Mediterranean Sea is, right? To the south is Africa, to the north is Europe, and the boot into the sea, what's the boot? Italy, very good. All the islands that are next to the boot, that's Greece, right? And off to the side there is Turkey, Okay. Um, The other end is France, and then Spain, and uh, what's it called, Gibraltar, right, remember this now, from eighth grade world geography, oh yeah, yeah, I went to that class too, didn't really take notes, but I did go, um, so I could wrestle, and play football, (laughs) amen. Well, Cyprus is an island uh, in the Mediterranean Sea, some people just went to the island, and they became believers there. But guys from that island were probably doing business in Antioch. So when they came back to Antioch, they started telling the good news to not just Jews, but now to Gentiles. These are the outsiders. A group uh, of guys from Cyrene. Where's Cyrene? It's in Libya, actually. It's North Africa. Libya, lovely place to vacation. You looking for a place to vacation this summer? Go. Leave me your car keys before you go, because you may not be back. But Libya was... uh, one of the early outposts of the gospel. business people would travel back to Antioch. Where's Antioch? go to Turkey? It's in southern Turkey, right at the kind of the corner where the Mediterranean Sea turns a corner. So it 's north of Israel and Syria and Lebanon. it's north of that. And here's the thing about Antioch. Antioch was founded, I think, around 400 years before Jesus came, by one of the generals under Alexander the Great. So this is a city that's got great history, but it's a very cosmopolitan town. It's, it's a world travel town. It's no doubt a trade port. So these guys are doing business, and when they get there, they begin to explain the gospel. It's the outsiders who begin to explain the gospel to people in Antioch, but not to the religious crowd. They are explaining the gospel to, new, to, to people far from Jesus, to Greeks, to non-Jewish people. Now, why is that significant? Because the gospel is crossing barriers that it's never crossed before, in fact, it's knocking them down really fast. Now, some of us in the room uh, some of us in the room have parents who are Christians, grandparents who are Christians, great grandparents who were you know godly people who attended the church and they taught Sunday school and sang in the choir, and so you have that godly heritage. It's a wonderful thing if you have it, and if you have it, you're what we would call. The religious crowd but you know that that religious crowd may not be able to reach irreligious people as well some of us in the room though uh, you'd say i'm the first generation of believers in my house my uh, my my grandparents i don't know where they are i don't know where they are spiritually nothing they're just blind they're obstinate my parents never really loved jesus or know about him they go to church at christmas and easter i'd be about it we just didn't really know much you understand this Those who are further from God, people from Cyrene and Cyprus, more Gentile in their perspective, they're the ones who understand the life of the people in Antioch. They're the best evangelists, if you will, to be able to tell the story. So you may think, oh, I wish I had that heritage of faith. No, God is using your heritage of non-faith to reach people who are going to become people of faith. So it's a huge bonus if you're a first-generation Christian. The gospel will cross all those barriers. And, and, and by the way, th- that's why I think it's so important that Christians, that you, you network with each other because sometimes um, you'll, you'll have a friend and uh, they're going through a divorce and a person who's never been through a divorce and have no divorce in their family, don't, they probably don't get it. And, and yet there'll be a brother or sister in the house you're friends with who gets that someone's been through the collapse of a business the miscarriage of a child whatever that heartbreak is and that's the benefit of the network that's why when you show up you show up to church not only to be fed and blessed but you show up to also be a blessing to other people and to encourage each other so much more hebrews says as you see the day approaching so the gospel will cross all of those barriers and the thing that you may think might be the weakness of your own faith may actually, God may be using it in a great way. That's verse 20. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them. A great number of people believed. turned to the Lord. What's not to like about that, huh? The Lord's hand is obvious and people believe in great numbers. You tell your story, you tell it enough times people are going to begin to believe and they'll begin to praise God. It's a momentum builder. Verse 22 News of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas. He's the son of encouragement. That's his name, Barnabas. They sent him to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. See, that good news serves to not only encourage each other, but to be bold in their faith. Barnabas is one of the bold guys in the faith. Tender heart, bold in his word though. And that spreads the gospels more as more people what happens is as people begin to believe, then more people say, yeah, I could tell my story too. And what happens is you have a momentum builder. Verse um, 24, he was a good man, this is Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. That kind of boldness builds then believers to share their story, to give them the confidence that they can do it as well. And, um, and Barnabas sent to Tarsus, to look for Saul, verse 25. And they found him, and and they brought him to Antioch. And uh, To think of Tarsus as being in Turkey, he brings him over to the southern Turkey side at the edge of the sea, takes him to Antioch, and they spend a year there, and they teach the church. And here's the cool thing. Here's a guy who persecuted Christians. Barnabas goes out and, and puts a fair amount of trust value, his, his trust equity in Saul, brings him to Antioch, Takes them to the church. They teach him. It gives them some time to grow up. They begin to build some disciples. And do you know what they're called at the end of that? This is the first multicultural, multi ethnic uh, uh, people from all over the world. Do you know what they're called there? It's the first place they're called. They're called Little Christs in Antioch. They're called Christians. And because the only thing they had in common was Jesus Christ. So when you tell your story, you're going to have days days of challenge, days of growth, certainly days of great joy. And when you do that, just know, oh, the Lord's walking with me and he's going to build my faith. And you know what? As I tell my story, my faith story, uh, God may move in their heart, but he will certainly move in my own because I revisit the very things the Lord's done in my life. So when you tell your story, here's three things you can tell. Um, One is what your life was before Christ. And then when you met Christ... That's the second point. And then your life since Christ. Three kind of points. And by the way, community groups will go through this again, and you'll get this in community groups. If you're not in a community group, go to the lobby at the end of church service and sign up in the lobby. But your life before Christ, what was your life before? You don't need to spend a lot of time, but just enough to help them identify with that. But then the turning point, and the turning point might be a verse like this, John 3, 16, or Romans chapter five, verse eight. Or it might be... um, First Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, he rose again. I believe that. That's the gospel right there. So uh, walk through that, those three pieces, and then my life since I've trusted Christ. Here's my life, and this is what it's been about. And what that does is it helps you kind of understand your own spiritual life as you're helping someone else come to know Christ. And tell your story no matter where you are, what, what, because you, you don't know the impact and the great future it will have. <clears throat> you know that one of my favorite, all time favorite preachers is a guy by the name of Tony Evans. You know that, right? Tony's a booming voice on the radio, teaches the Bible, is a great preacher. Um, He would occasionally show up where I went to graduate school at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and he would always, every time he was there, would just pack the house. And uh, anytime he comes around, if I get a chance to hear him, he's a wonderful guy. But here's here's the thing that not many people know. Some people know, but it's not a secret, but it's not a huge piece. Tony grew up in Baltimore. He's the pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas today. He's on national, probably worldwide radio. He's on internet, Bible teaching all, all 24 hours a day. He's got a, a pile of books. Um, lots of schools want him as, for auxiliary teaching. He just has a great impact for the kingdom. But here's a guy who grew up in Baltimore. His parents didn't know Jesus when he was growing up. Tony's dad was a longshoreman, I think, by definition. He got on a bus one day coming off of a job and was picking up some stuff off the bus. And someone had left a brochure that explained the gospel. And Tony's dad sat down and read that. That became became Tony's dad's journey to faith. Tony's dad then trusted Christ. But no one else in the family knew Christ. And then Tony's dad had a character change. He began to love his wife and pay attention to his kids. He became... Good at not only working but coming home and bringing the check home at the end of the week and staying with his wife and kids. And, and it, he just became annoyingly wonderful as a person. How many of you would like to have a, a husband who is annoyingly wonderful? Seven of you. Okay, good. The Art of Marriage booth is in the lobby. Let's go sign up. The kids come to know Christ, Tony being one of them, coming to know Christ. But mom, Tony's mom, she doesn't come to know Christ. She is just annoyed by how wonderful her husband is. And finally she breaks down and says, I don't know what you have, but I want it. It's just driving me crazy. And she came, became Christ. By the way, they're still married. They're living in Baltimore. And a sweet Christian couple. But here's the deal. Whoever left that brochure led a longshoreman to Christ. That son, who came to Christ later, became the leader in, I think, one of the better churches in the country and became the author of a pile of books that are some of the best books. Some, one of my best systematic theology books is from Tony Evans. But that's not where it stops. This is greater, isn't it? This is greater. Tony's kids, uh, Anthony Evans, is a singer and an acclaimed great Christian gospel singer. Uh, Anthony Evans is his name. His sister, Priscilla Shire, is her married name. She, she's one of the top popular Bible teachers today. She's out on, Well, on, uh, she has books, I'm, I'm, I'm reading a couple right now, but she's on uh, DVDs and she does conference work as well. I mean, you don't understand, huh? We just don't see how much greater it could be, the impact, because some guy left a brochure on a bus. I could have done that. And we get home to heaven and go, ah, yeah, I, I led Tony Evans' dad to Christ. <laughs> well, I didn't really. I just, I dropped this brochure on a bus seat. I mean, how easy is that? You have no idea when you say to a person at work, do you mind if I pray for you? Do you mind if my small group prays for you? You have no idea what that does to them. We have no idea when we say, you know, I don't know what God is up to, but it might be for good and you bring Jesus into the conversations, that we would reach our county and our region for Jesus, that we would be part of the solution, that there would be a greater future, and that people would come to know Christ, and the families would be reunited in healing, and there would be Acts 8 again. There would be great joy in this city. It would just be a wonderful thing. You on board for that? I am. I hope you are too. Let's bow for prayer, and let's stand as we pray. Almighty God, we know you want to do something greater in our lives. Each generation wants to carry the good news to the next, but we want to do it even better. Uh, and so help us, oh God, we pray. And maybe Lord's working in you this week, right now, this week, to just tell your story to somebody, not keep it to yourself. And know that it will not always be roses and sweetness, it'll be tough, great challenges. Great opportunities for growth, but with it comes a great, great opportunity for joy, too. So, Lord, as we tell our story this week, may you do something greater in our lives to build us to bolder faith, to confidence that you're with us, kind of the, the pat. You're with us. We can do this when we walk with you, that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world, and that Whatever we could ask or dream, you can outdo that. You can do immeasurably more than we could even ask or think. And we we hold on to that to ask you, dear Father, that we would have an impact in our community for your glory and certainly for the good of the community. We pray this in the name of Christ, our risen Savior, the church says. Amen.